You're listening to Sarah Hagen backstage with interviews and insights from years inside the music industry. Join Sarah as she talks with masters of their crafts, finding out what makes them tick both inside and outside of the music business. Welcome to Sarah Hagen backstage. My guest today is Steve Smith, who is an absolute drumming legend. I'm going to talk to Steve today about getting his start in drumming coming from a small town and becoming a superstar, his work with Journey, vital information, and so much more. And we'll talk with Steve about all the projects he has on the horizon, which are going to make 2022 an incredible year for Steve. So come along with me as I catch up with Steve Smith. Hey, Steve, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Sarah. Nice to be here. Absolutely. And look at your setting. It's the ambiance is so nice. Yeah, it's backstage. We're we're backstage yeah, here. We are. <laughs> uh, this is, we're up in the mountains here in southern Oregon. We got a couple feet of snow on the ground and it's oh. nice. We're snowed in. Can't get out at all, but but we knew it was coming. So we, we got the supplies and we're all set. Perfect. Those those snow days are nice when you're ready for yeah. it and you're, you have a fire going and it's just like, let's yep. stay in and be cozy. I love it. That's right. Yep. Did you have to shovel a path to your um, practice space? I did yesterday. I shoveled a little path, but then overnight and now it's snowing. So anyway, I, I'm not going to shovel anymore. I'm just going to trudge through the snow yeah. and get out there this <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> just put some boots on and, you know, you'll yeah. get there. That's right. And I have a change of shoes in there so I can change it to my drumming shoes and get to it. I love it. That's so great. That's great. So um, tell us what you have been up to the past, you know, through through the quarantine, <laughs> through the pandemic. I know that obviously things slow down for all of us, but I know that lately you have had so much going on. Right. Lately. Lately, but, I, but I don't. Here, yeah. Well, let's just, you know, take it back to basically March, March 2020, when I was I was on tour with Vital Information and we were playing in Australia that and I, and I did have gigs in Japan and China after that, that, of course, canceled. And then I came back to, you know, to the Oregon home. At that point, and what I ended up doing that kept me creative and, and busy was I started this series called From the Practice Room. Mm -hmm. And it's a and I ended up, you know, starting with one camera and then to two cameras and then three cameras. And I'd I'd be working on ideas, practicing different ideas that interested me. And and it was a unique time because usually when I would have time to practice, I'd be preparing for some upcoming tour or recording session or something. And, and it was a rare occurrence that I had no gigs or sessions. So I just was practicing things that either I had thought of that I wanted to practice and never had time to, or, or, you know, pulled out some of my old drum books, like the Wilcoxon book and, and started practicing things that I, just hadn't done for years. And then I document that with, with my uh, video recorders. And, and then I'd send that, the, those files to a friend of mine, Christian Gersat, 
who lives mm-hmm. in the south of France, and he edits those together and makes, you know, pretty nice finished, very nice finished videos. And then I post those usually about once a week called yes. From the Practice Room. So you can see them on my Facebook page, which is Vital Information, you know, facebook.com Vital Information, or my YouTube channel, which is on my vitalinformation.com website. So there are dozens and dozens, lots, lots of different videos that, and sometimes I'm doing education about Indian rhythms or conical or snare drum technique. Like we did a series for Zildjian of snare drum technique videos. And I've posted all of those as well as Zildjian's posted those and, mm-hmm. and, and on and on. And I did a few remote band performances where I played drums and then I'd send it to a keyboard player in New York and he'd put his part on and a bass player in LA. So, so it's been a interesting and very creative endeavor. And, and I am continuing to put those, those up though uh, at this point, not exactly once a week, I'm mixing in with other, other things, other kind of content. Absolutely. Yeah. The content's so been, one, yeah, Great. It's been really, really great. I've been enjoying it. And, you know, I like that um, now that you're getting back out and playing a little bit too, you have that content coming in. Like I saw the, the, the video that Christian put together where you had an overhead cam and um, was that at Birdland? At Birdland. Yeah. I did a week at Birdland, the third week of September. And that's a gig that I have been doing for about seven years it's already booked for next year. It's the it's a week celebrating John Coltrane's birthday, which is September 23rd. And mm-hmm. um, we always have a little bit different lineup each year and we play different music each year, but it's always related to music that John Coltrane played either as a sideman or a band leader. So that's mm-hmm. a fascinating project. And, and I, record every gig that I do pretty much every gig and um, that's why there's like a lot of drum solos from my four years with Journey from 2016 to 2019 I I recorded every gig and and when I got a drum solo that I really liked you know Christian would edit it together and we'd put it up so there's dozens and dozens of those Mm-hmm. too but then i ended up buying this zoom camera that i could mount on a overhead mic stand and so that's one of the various um perspectives that i like to post so so but with that birdland video i i just put it up on a mic stand and put it over the kick because it sounds good there you can hear the whole band mm-hmm. and the drums and, and it's a unique way to to see the drum kit and it's a it's a very educational perspective because you can really see all the details of what I'm doing. For sure. Yes. Drummers love the overhead drum perspective <laughs> for sure. Right. Um, every time I see something with overhead drum cam, it's just, it's such a great way to see what's going on. It's so many other instruments. It's a little easier because you're face on, you know, guitar kind of thing, but like for yeah. the drums, it's just such a complex instrument and having that angle is always really helpful so yeah because when you're at a show and you're and you're in facing the drums you don't see all that detail yes you, know, you don't you, see you're what's looking going at the on. bass drum and the toms and the cymbals but you can't see everything that's going on so yeah i like that i like i like the overhead and the bass drum 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, the exactly. Foot camp. The, the foot cam. The cam. Yeah. That's another, the foot cam is another good one. We always love the foot cam too. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love that you film all of the, the, uh, the drum solos too. I was lucky enough to be able to stand side stage with your wonderful wife, Diane, um, in Boston yeah. when you came through with right. Journey and see up close your solo that night. It was just so fantastic, of course. Thank you. Well, that one is posted. I'd have yeah. to go back and try to and, and figure out which one it was, but it was um, that was in 2016, mm-hmm. the first year. Yeah. So. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Absolutely. It was great that you were there. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to go back and look too. And the sites that you mentioned too, I'll put um, links in the show notes for yeah. anyone who's listening on the podcast, and then also in the YouTube description, so people sure. can. Sure. And I and I them. post them on uh, IGTV as well. Yes. Yeah. Your Instagram is great. It's so great. I love everything that you post every time you post. I'm like, Ooh, there's something super cool. (laughs) And, and it's so great that you went back and like revisited the drum books. And I know that you're doing something now, um, with the Gadamans, um, with Steve Gad's Gadamans. And I love that. It's so great to see another superstar drummer, playing you know another superstar drummers materials right <laughs> well when when uh rob wallace from hudson music told me that steve gad was uh writing a book he sent me a few examples ahead of time just so i could get an idea of what it was and and i really related to it i could relate to his use of flams and and moving the rhythms around you know, it's, it's, I, I do some similar things, but he ended up coming up with some ideas that, you know, I had never thought of. So that, of course, made it extremely interesting for me. And, and so as soon as I got a copy of the book, I started working out of it and then put it up from the practice room. I, I have a couple of them that I put up and, and next weekend, I'm going to put up some more um, from page eight. <laughs> Yay. And so what I, what I did, it, there's now another thing that I've done on, on those practice room videos. There's a, we also live in upstate New York and, and there's a drum museum in Oneonta, New York. And I like to go into the drum museum and play the various vintage kits all the way back to the twenties and the thirties, you know, some really That's- amazing kits and they, they sound great. So I was there a few weeks ago and I recorded some Gadamans examples on a 1930s Leedy drum set. So oh. that'll be coming out. So, and it, and it sounds great on that because, because the snare drum sounds a lot like a marching snare drum and the bass drum is a big, huge, like 34 inch bass drum with calf heads. Sounds beautiful. So, so that's coming out pretty soon. I cannot wait to see that. That sounds that sounds great. And, you know, speaking of marching snares and, you know, Steve um, has that marching background and you do as well uh, back in the day and in high school. Right. Whitman Hanson well, not marching, not, not yeah, marching? marching. Well, I took a lot of drum lessons and I took um, lessons where the teacher taught he taught me all the rudiments, the 26 rudiments at the time. And I yes. did do marching band, marching not band. drum corps, the way we think of drum. Corps. No, no, no. Just yeah. mar- marching band, high school, marching yeah. band, right. high, yeah. high school, marching band at the football halftime 
Yes. So in, in all of that, at Whitman Hanson Regional High School, the same high school you went to, yeah. I went to much earlier. So yes, exactly. So, but but that that played a major role in my hand development. You know, it's mm -hmm. studying the snare drum rudiments and and working on hand technique was a, an, a very important part of my development. And I would and I would say that. What I notice of um, students, younger students these days, or even for a couple generations, it's not common for people to take the time to work on their hands only, on mm. hands alone. Mm -hmm. and, and that has to do with, in a way, a lot of how drum set culture, let's say, has changed over the years. When I started, and Steve Gadd is like a generation older than me, He's about 10 years old. I'm 67 now. And so he's must be, in, you know, somewhere in that area of 76, 77. When, when he started playing and when I started playing, we started with the snare drum. Yes. We didn't start with a drum set generally. So, so our generations spent a lot of years on developing hand technique. Mm -hmm. And the difference is if you get a drum set when you first start out, you you start out playing beats. Mm -hmm. Now now there's you know there's an upside to that, but in a way the downside to that is that you're that you're accustomed to having a right hand on a hi hat or a cymbal and a left hand on a snare, and you and you pretty much play backbeats on a snare drum. Right. And, and and a lot of times people don't take that time to invest to actually just play the snare drum with both hands and to develop that hand technique. And so I've. I like that, you know, it's been, it was important for me and I see the importance of it. And I, I recommend that people do that, even if that, if they get a drum set when they're a kid <laughs> and, you know, you have all this option to play, play the, like the whole drum set, but do spend time developing your hand technique. It, it's well worth it. And it gives you a lot more technical options if you do it than if you don't do it. For sure. Yes. I had a very similar experience starting to play. It was just snare lessons for, I think I took snare lessons for four years before I even got a drum set. So that's good. Well, as that's a, old school. Right. It is old school. Yes. But yeah. I, I do remember as a kid, you know, I just, I wanted that drum set so badly <laughs> and it was, it was tough. Right. It was tough, but I did definitely recognize that what I was learning to read music and the fundamentals and dynamics and rudiments and all of that, it would serve me well later on. Yes. One right. thing I think that was a little bit tough for me was making the transition from reading music. Like I could read music all day long, but then when I got into high school, I joined the jazz band. And so learning how to improvise and learning you know, they would just give me the trumpet part to follow along with the changes. And it was like, you know, just play. And I would think, wait, right. where's the music? You know, <laughs> right. so I think that um, for me, like listening to a lot of jazz music, playing along to records, cassette tapes and things at the time, um, that helped me a lot. But how how was that for you? Because you I mean, jazz is so it's it's you know steve smith and jazz music just go together but like how did you find that like learning the fundamentals and the hands and being so focused on that jumping into 
improvising? Well, you know, it would, if I talk my lessons, I was taking lessons from a teacher in Brockton named Billy Flanagan. And I started from the, in the fourth grade and I stayed with him until the end of high school when I graduated in 1972. So the lessons did eventually after about three years incorporated the drum set. Mm -hmm. So he taught me in that swing style of uh, jazz independence. Mm. So it's, I did eventually, after like two and a half, three years of snare drum, got a drum set and my orientation was playing swing. Mm. And then we we went through the Jim Chapin book and then we went through the Ted Reed syncopation book using it uh, to, to read, the, to read the, the line as a left-hand part, a left-hand and bass drum part with the jazz rise cymbal. So that was my orientation to playing the drum set was was swing, jazz swing. And I say swing to go back before bebop. So my teacher was from the swing era. So Mm -hmm. for for an example, more like Gene Krupa era than Roy Haynes or Max Roach. Sure. You know, so like really old school. So that was that proved to be a good background because it goes back to the roots of the drum set. And then from there. You know, just through listening and then playing, I, I picked up on how how to make my playing more and more modern. And then, of course, growing up in the 60s, uh, you know, I was I was a teenager when Jimi Hendrix put out Are You Experience in 1967 and Led Zeppelin came out in 68. And, you know, so I was, I was buying those records and playing along to those records as well as playing along to Count Basie records and Buddy Rich records. So mm-hmm. it just all organically came together. And 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 then when you think about that, it's like that's what fusion drumming is in a way. It's just that organic melding of jazz drumming, big band drumming, small group drumming, rock drumming, R and B drumming, you know, which I was doing all of that to work when I was a kid and then going to Berkeley and meeting other like-minded musicians my age and mm-hmm. we just all developing and, and and it all kind of melded into this whatever it is that I do now it all has <laughs> its roots back then you know whatever you want to call it but it's like but it is like in a way I, you know I play fusion rock R&B jazz like it's just U.S. Yeah. music is the way I I see it I said it in one of my videos like I'm a U.S. ethnic drummer Mm-hmm. I can play all the styles of music that had its or- origins in the USA. Absolutely. That makes a ton of sense when I think about your your diversity in playing and what you were listening to and what you came up listening to. And then add in, like outside of the US, add in the Indian rhythms and all of that that you added yeah. to your repertoire. It just, that makes a ton of sense to kind of come together yeah. and create the Steve Smith we know today. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to look back on it. And well, so let's bring that up to like what, you know, so, something that I'm working on right now is the Modern Drummer Legends book. Yes. Yeah. And let's talk that, about that. I wasn't sure if you could talk about it or not, but I'm so happy. Yeah, definitely. Can. Yeah. When they, when, you know, the idea has been around for a while and, and, um, and they, you know, the, uh, Mr. Frangioni, who now is the, you know, the owner and editor of 
modern drummer he asked me if i wanted to do it and i said absolutely and i and i got a good friend of mine mark griffith involved and i said i'd like mark to do my interview and and mark is he's a drummer and a teacher and lives in the new jersey area and he's written liner notes for some of my albums and i've done a lot of interviews with him and he really knows a lot about jazz and and drummers in general rock rock drumming he's a he's a historian and and so when i got him involved um dave francione was pretty impressed with him and hired him to to do all the legends books. oh wow so, so he's actually he just did peter erskine and kenny Aronoff, and uh and so mine's on the forefront now we're you know trying to trying to finish it mm-hmm. but it's a lot of work like i did two interviews with him in person in new york and each one was six hours and the other was eight hours <laughs> so wow. there are you know there's a lot of editing to do sure because it's one thing that's to talk about you know like he interviews me and i answer questions and then we discuss things but then you know i take that interview and i, I rewrite it so it reads a lot better than just transcribing what one says in the moment absolutely so that's a yeah. lot of work and and so we're you know so so what the legends book is it's it's all five cover stories that i've had a modern drummer so all all of that will be in there plus this new very expansive interview overview of my entire career and um and then there's a section on every drum set that i've ever owned and or played so that was like a really you guys want to do that yeah really <laughs> so that was a lot of research you know to go through and try to remember and find photographs of all these drum sets that I've had ever since I was a kid mm-hmm. and uh, and write about that. And then there's a section of transcribing certain parts of certain songs. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing that we went through. And uh, so, you know, and then finding photographs and and one other and, and I have so to connect that to another project that's coming out, I have a solo drum set album that I'm going to be releasing in 2022 but i'm also going to include it with the if you buy the modern drummer legends book you can get that as a download but it will also be released separately as a download on my website and on itunes and all of that so that's called the fabric of rhythm wow so like i said you've been up to a lot (laughs) it's been a lot lately and and this is so exciting when you told me about the legends book I was super excited because these books to me are like, um, you know, you're you're creating your legacy and you can look through that and see this history that you have. And you have such an amazing history through music and, you know, through your life. And and you joke about the drum set thing, but like that's what that's what drummers get excited about. They want to know what did Steve play on this and what, it, what was this and what was his first kit like and all of that. So right, I, it's great. Yes. I know it's a ton, tons of work, but it's so fantastic. Well, yeah, thank you. It's, it's interesting to go <laughs> through your life and, and re and try to relive and remember lots of details of things, but it, it's, it's helpful to get a perspective an overview. It's, it's an interesting and unique thing to do 
And and there's other ways of doing it. Like for instance, I, I talked to my mom last night who lives on Cape Cod and I had all these questions like about her upbringing. So, but, so that's another way for people to do that. It's just like dig into, hey, why did you end up going from this town and why did your parents move and, you know, she lived in Hanson when she was a kid. How did that happen? How did they move from Maine to Hanson? Anyway, it's just right. it's interesting to look look at your life like that, and 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 I find that talking to family is another way to do that. You know, really dig into family history and yeah, and and find out ideas of you know how did people end up where they did and right doing what they do. So absolutely, it's, it's and helpful. I. I think it's fascinating, um, you know, coming from, you mentioned earlier that we went to the same high school and yeah. I grew up in Hanson, like you just mentioned where your mom um, ended up moving to, and you grew up in Whitman and it was a regional high school. So right. we, um, we weren't there at the same time, but I grew up in, in high school with your, with your picture on the hall of fame, the wall of fame <laughs> in the high school auditorium. <laughs> So, and it was stolen once. I don't know if you know that the picture was stolen. I think no, someone, I didn't. Yeah, they they replaced it, but I think somebody really wanted that. <laughs> that's, that's funny. Um, but I, I, it's just amazing to me because because you know it's a small town in Massachusetts, and I just yeah. wonder when you were younger, um, if you had these thoughts of being in a a world traveling rock band playing arenas and all of that. Not no, no, it wasn't on my radar at all. And, and I, you know, and that's a thing I've been, been writing about in this modern drummer legends. Cause Mark Griffith asked me about career longevity, mm -hmm. he, you know, he putting, putting an emphasis on, you know, these drummers that are being interviewed for the most part have very long careers. And, uh, but my my when I was in high school, my fondest dream would have been to play with the Stan Kenton big band or the Woody Herman big band or or um, Maynard Ferguson band. So I was my orientation was to be an employable working musician, a, like a sideman, just, you know, a, a working drummer, a working mm -hmm. player. So I didn't have the kind of aspirations that some people come up with where they want to meet, you know, that other like-minded musicians and start a band, you know, sure. and make, make it a, make it in a band. And of course we know a lot, well, not, you could say lots of people have, but lots of people haven't, <laughs> but lots of people have tried. And, right. and I guess, you know, so that wasn't my concept because I wanted to be a jazz musician mainly i was thinking as a sideman you know later i became a band leader and sideman but i guess the point is i had aspirations to be an employable musician so you need certain skills and and my training gave me those skills you, mm -hmm. know, you were meant to reading music and and i had good time like i worked on developing good time and this was before click tracks it was like drummers needed to to be an employable drummer, you needed to have good time. So that was just a concept mm -hmm. that one would work with to, to develop the ability to keep steady time. And, uh, and, and I was able to do that to a you know, pretty good degree. So I was 
and I was reliable. So, you know, so I became employable at a young age, but no, I never thought about being, being in a, in a rock band. But when the opportunity came up, there was an interesting opportunity and, and musically it was interesting for me. It wasn't like, Oh, you know, this is great. Now, now I'll make it and, and just right. be in this band forever. It was, it was more like, it was the next step of an opportunity came my way. The, the guys in journey heard me play thought that you know, I would help uplift the band and, you know, and it, it could address the music they were writing at that time. And it worked mm-hmm. out. Um, but I also felt as though, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't what I aspired to do though. It was in a way I saw it, it was like a launching pad mm-hmm. for my, for my own career. And it was a, you know, it was a great time and, and I'm proud of the body of work that mm-hmm. we created during that time. Uh, but then I, you know, I needed to go out and do, do what I was more interested in, which was then I went and toured with steps ahead and, uh, and put my vital information group on the on the forefront and and worked as a sideman with very good jazz musicians and as a band leader mm-hmm. with great musicians that I wanted to collaborate with so that that became you know my more important work yeah well it it sounds like it gave you the opportunity to do what was in your heart creatively that was yours yes yeah exactly. i like that I love that. And I have to say, um, my first drum clinic, another thing that you do is, is the clinics and, and the solo performances. And my first drum clinic was seeing you at center street drums in Brockton, which is where I also bought my first drum set. I actually remember that clinic. Do you? That was the, yeah, that was center street drums in Brockton, Massachusetts is that yeah. was the place. I had, a, no. I had a white sonar kit there. I you did. Yes, you did. The white yeah. sonar like, Yeah. I know. I still have that drum set. It's a really nice sonar oh. drum set. I love that. So, That's yeah. so great. Yeah. And that was, I just what, remember. What year was that? Do you remember? Oh, what my year goodness. That was? It was probably well, 90, 1997, round there, six or seven, 96, 97. Okay. Um, and I was, I was a teenager, so I would have been like 16, 17 years old. And I was working at a cafe and John DeChristopher would come in all the time because it was near Zildjian. (laughs) And he said one day, you know, Steve Smith is playing a drum clinic. You should, you should go there and I'll introduce you to him. And I thought that was the nicest thing ever. So yeah, so I first met you center street drums but it was it was an incredible clinic of course and just kind of like inspired me a ton to just keep going because I was that was the time in my life where I was in the jazz band and working through my own kind of you know creative um blocks and so seeing you perform and uh and speak was just great yes absolutely good memory. I have a good memory of that, that clinic as well, because that was the closest probably I ever did to doing a clinic in Whitman. Right. <laughs> but, but Brockton, you know, that's my roots because that's where I was taking my drum lessons. Absolutely. That was Brockton, the place yes. like that. That's where I took lessons as well. I took lessons in Brockton yeah. and um, throughout middle school, high school time frame. Um, that was the place to go. Something about yeah. Brockton. 
but well i don't know you know the connection there is my dad was the editor of the brockton enterprise oh my the, goodness i did not know that yeah the the newspaper the local newspaper and how he found and their address was 60 main street in brockton and right around the corner was the billy flanagan drum shop <laughs> so that was like that's how he found my drum teacher. He was right <laughs> on the same block as the Brockton Enterprise. I and so that's that. why I, I would go to drum lessons there. Like, I don't remember his address, but it was right around the corner from, from the Enterprise. So, yeah, that's my connection to, to Brockton. Wow. That's, that's that, I mean, it's going so, you know, into the history of that area. Um, and... I don't know. I know Center Street Drums, I think, well, I know they moved and then I think they're not not there any longer. And so many of the drum right. shops just aren't around. Um, but, you know, we, we, we hold on to the ones that, <laughs> that, are, that are out there and, um, yep. you know, that, that you can find all that cool stuff in, like, like Center Street Absolutely. Drums, all the different kinds yep. of things. So, um, but so we we kind of covered like the the early days of Steve and and getting into Journey. Um, when you kind of had the opportunity to start doing your own thing and putting together um, vital information, what I, I know you got the chance to really work with musicians that um, that you like you said you world class musicians all around. Um, were these people that you had met through the years or heard of? And how did that work for you to um, to make those connections and kind of like yeah, get those guys yeah, that, into your own thing? Sure. The, this is a good topic for me, but uh, because I'm working right now with a record company called Wounded Bird, and they're putting out the first four Vital Information albums on CD. And the and it's called the Complete Columbia Years because my first four albums were on Columbia Records. Um, Very cool. And, but they've been out of print for many many years, mm -hmm. and so this will be you know a CD release, not a not not a download like you'd have to buy this. <laughs> and it's a boxed like a little box set of. I love it. Four albums, and uh, so that'll come out in 2022. Where I'm remastering now from the original tapes i actually went through my storage unit and i found a quarter inch tape ma master tapes of all four records and sent them to my mastering engineer jim brick and he's remastering them and they sound pretty incredible so i'm really happy about that so but here's the 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 background of that group is when i was a junior and senior in high school I was recruited by the Bridgewater State College Big Band to play drums in the college big band. Because Bridgewater State College had a band director and a, you know, and a band. And I don't think mm -hmm. they had a music major, but they had like a decent big band, but they needed some key players. And so what, so they needed a drummer. So they recruited me as a high school student. They needed mm -hmm. a bass player. And that was Tim Landers. And that's how I met Tim. He was... Oh. Uh, going to Brockton High School, and they got him, and they needed a, a saxophone player. And David Wilczewski, great saxophone player from Stoughton, ended up 
in the Bridgewater State College Band. And the three of us were all high school students and we really connected. So we, you know, we played in the big band, we played concerts around the South Shore and at that college. And then we stayed in very close touch throughout high school. Tim and I both went to Berkeley, David went to New England Conservatory and mm -hmm. we would play together often. And once I left to go on tour with Jean-Luc Ponty and different groups like Ronnie Montrose and then Journey and Tim Landers ended up touring with Al Dimiola and Billy Cobham and Dave Wolcheski, um worked with Freddie Hubbard. And so, but we would get together in Boston once a year for a reunion concert just for fun you know just and we played mm -hmm. jacks this and i don't think it's i think it burned <laughs> but yeah, it was a club in cambridge yeah yeah yep. and so we would get together and play and so the early vital information music developed out of those experiences and then we would hire dean brown to play guitar with us mm -hmm. or mike stern or barry finity daryl Sturm, or different guitar players that we were working with in other groups and after I was in Journey for a couple of years, I was able to get a solo record deal on Columbia. And, and that's, that became the first Vital Information record. So, you know, I signed to, to Columbia in 1983 as a jazz artist. And, and the first album was recorded in Normandy Sound in Warren, Rhode Island, because it was kind of a local local studio for us, like that we could relate to. And uh, so it was Tim Landers and David Wojcicki, Mike Stern and Dean Brown and myself. So that that was the first Vital Information group. And, and that was in January 83. Then I did a big tour uh, that year with Journey, the Frontiers tour. Mm -hmm. And in September, when that tour was over, I, I did my first Vital Information tour of the US with that same group, except Mike Stern was still playing with Miles Davis then. So I got a guitar player named A. Falbers. He was a uh, from Holland that I had met when I, I did, ended up in 1977. I played on a Focus record. It was a Dutch rock band called Focus. And I met A. Falbers, great guitar player. So, you know, he took Mike Stern's place for that tour. So then we did, we did a big U.S. tour in 83 and then went right back into the studio and recorded the second record because we had worked up so much material on that uh, that tour. So that album's called Orion. Okay. And then, you know, and then and then I moved to Marin County and and had a nice home and built a home studio. So my next album, Global Beat, was recorded at my home studio. And the album after that, Fia Fiaga Celebration, was recorded there. So in a short time, I had made these four records for Columbia mm -hmm. and, and, and done a fair amount of touring. So that, that was, you know, a very creative time. And then eventually, you know, Columbia dropped me. Like, that, that just, that happens. That's like, yeah. people make records for a record company, and then they get dropped. And then, you know, I went on, got signed by other labels and, and you know you continue to develop your body of work and, mm -hmm. and tour so but so now eventually you know and the first two records never came out on cd they were only released on vinyl and cassette the other wow. the other two global and beat global beat because they were pre you know they came out before cds so free cds yeah right free cds yeah so then the other the other two were released on on vinyl 
and cassette and CD as an afterthought. So, mm -hmm. so they don't, they didn't sound as good as they could have sounded. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I think this new collection now we're, we're specifically, we're mastering them for CD and they sound a, a whole lot better than how they were, uh, you know, originally sound, yes. uh, sounded. So, so I'm pretty excited about having those. Yeah, out. I bet. I'm excited too. And, and when do you think those are coming out or do you have a date for those? Well, no, no date is uh, at this point, but it'll be, it'll be probably spring mm -hmm. 2022, you know, pretty soon. We're almost done with the mastering. I think this is the last week we're going to work on it and then we'll get the artwork and get it all manufactured and put out. That's so great. Okay. So we'll, we will look yeah. for that. For sure. Um, and I, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, we talked a little bit about your diversity and all of the, the genres that you are just incredible at. And I didn't know this. This is one thing I did not know about Steve Smith. But in my um, kind of re referencing, you know, checking things and seeing what you were up to that I didn't want to miss out on talking about today. I saw that you played on a really, really successful Mariah Carey album back in the day. Right. The second album, Emotions. Yes. Emotions. And I'm like, how did I not know this? Like, this <laughs> amazing. Because it's just like another, another area that you're, you know, that you have in your um, history. Right. Well, I was, you know, in living in the Bay, San Francisco Bay Area. Mm-hmm. From, I, I lived there from, well, the late 70s in, until 2005. Part of what, you know, what I did there is I did studio session work. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't a whole, it's not like LA or Nashville or something, but this Bay Area has its own uh, scene. And I, I was, you know, getting a lot of calls to play on records that were being made there pop records and there mm -hmm. were a couple of producers that were doing a lot of work and one of them um, and both of okay both of these producers came from narda michael walden's rhythm section so, okay so narda was a very prolific producer in in those years and you know he was making whitney houston records and aretha franklin and kenny g you know mm -hmm. all, all of these and and then some of his players branched out on their own and became successful producers on their own and one of them was Corrado Rustici who from Italy but was working uh, with Narda and then he became uh, like the top producer of, in Italy and made a lot of Italian pop records but made them in San Francisco made mm -hmm. the tracks in San in, or not in San Francisco proper but Berkeley, California at mm -hmm. Fantasy Studios. So, and, and I was his first call drummer. So I ended up doing a lot of those records. And then Walter Afanasiev, who was also working with Narda, he branched off and he became a very successful producer on his own. And Mariah Carey was one of his artists. Mm -hmm. And so there, so, so he hired me and he, but like, Savage Garden is another one. I don't know if that came up, but he produced Savage Garden, and that's how I ended up playing on on one of those albums. And mm -hmm. and you know Tina Arena, an Australian artist. A lot of you know just a lot of these pop artists, and I just go in and play drums. You know, mm -hmm. just, 
just a pop session that I did. And so with with the Mariah Carey project, I remember I played on two tracks. So one of the tracks was recorded at Skywalker Ranch. Oh, very George cool. Lucas's place. Yeah, and mm -hmm. so the, I ended up doing a number of things there because people were using that room as a, you know, they just go in and, and rent it for the day or the week or whatever. Mm -hmm. So so one of the tracks we recorded at Skywalker. And then a second track we recorded in New York City. And that was before I was living in New York and had an apartment in New York. So so uh, Walter brought me to New York. And I remember Eric Gale on guitar, Will Lee on bass, and Walter played piano. And we recorded a track and, and Mariah came to the session. And so oh, wow. this is very early on in her career. She was very young. And uh, it was, you know, right after her first album and first success. Actually, mm -hmm. Walter called me to play on the first record and he sent me a tune and this was, and, and I learned the tune and it was on the way to the studio. And he said, okay, Steve, never mind." Oh no. <laughs> yeah, because the, 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 the president of Columbia heard the demo with a drum machine and he really liked that so he said let's not add real drums so so i almost was on the first record but but whatever the the, the president i think it was tommy mctola said no we don't just keep it like the demo mm -hmm. so but then on the second record it you know it worked out so so yeah i got to meet her and that that was interesting and and, and exciting days yeah. you know and being in new york and and you know working on that session it's a good memory it absolutely it sounds like it i'm glad i'm glad yeah. i brought that up i just when i came yeah. across that i was like wait a minute what <laughs> it's so great and i should have you know it shouldn't have surprised me i just i thought it was super cool and just add i have a, I have a platinum record from that really <laughs> i don't That's... know what to do with it <laughs> <laughs> That's so great, Steve. Yeah. Well, and I just, I feel like this interview is, a lot of people are, are going to listen and get excited about the Legends book because, like, I want to hear more. I want to read all about this. I want to, you know, read the details and, and everything about your your career in music because it's just, it's been so fantastic. And there are so many aspects to it. Like, you know, it's not, it's it's not been this kind of like one direction kind of thing. Like you've really built this incredible legacy. It's pretty multifaceted, multi-directional. Absolutely. I and, well, and I just heard today that the Modern Drummer Legends books will also be available digitally through Hudson Music. Oh, great. Is, yeah, really, it's gonna be a really nice way easy way to get the books because you know it's not it, i think it's going to be kind of hard to find them in bookstores literally or you'd have to order you know order the book but if you want a digital copy of it you'll be able to get it through hudson music so that's oh that's great news. that's that's yeah. really great news and i'll put some links um i know it you know it's not coming out tomorrow but we'll no, <laughs> sometime it's, next year right sometime, sometime next 20, year 2022 yeah it sounds like 22 is going to be a really great year for you and i'm looking forward to all this all this great yeah you know all this great yeah. news and the great things coming up um is there anything else that you want to share that's that's on the horizon for you 
Well, as you know, we've been talking with Drumeo about doing some educational material for Drumeo. So that is a, you know, a new project. I'm just starting to think about what to talk about, what to teach, mm-hmm. but it's an interesting format, you know, with, with the Drumeo format. So, so that's something I'm, I'm currently working on now to, to develop content for Drumeo. Absolutely. Yes. And that will be a 2022 yeah. um, release as well. So we can look forward to That's right. yeah. all of those great things. And before we go today, I just want to ask, I mean, I feel like you've given so much great advice in this podcast already just through you talking, but is there anything that you um, would like to impart onto the next generation of drummers coming up? <laughs> Oh, that's, that's a, that's a big question. It is. a big <laughs> Yeah. And I, I really do think you've covered so much about like the fundamentals yeah. of drumming and um, being multifaceted. Well, there's a, yeah. There's, there's a, I think seeing live music is something that's been difficult to do for the last couple of years. And, mm-hmm. but, but when, when it is possible that it's really important to see live music in an intimate venue and hear good music and good drummers up close to really get a sense of what drums really sound like. And, and, and that's meaning like if, if you're watching on on a video or a recording, you're hearing a drum sound. Mm-hmm. But when you're in a room, and I say an intimate room, maybe you know, hundred seats, two hundred seats, maybe three hundred seats, like somewhere where you can hear the drums acoustically in the room and hear the music coming off the stage acoustically. That that's that's such a different experience than listening to recorded music. Mm-hmm. And 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 for me coming up that. That's where I got a lot of my education of you know, what what I wanted to model myself after is this what I heard live, even more so than recordings, because I could hear how the drummer balanced themselves on the kit, how they played the bass drum relative to the level of the snare drum to the cymbal and, and the tuning of the kit and then how the drums blended with the other musicians that are on stage. Mm. You know, those, those are really key components to my education that mm-hmm. you, you don't, you're, you don't really get that from recorded music. Yeah. Some, somebody's mixing it, you know, somebody yep. else is, is in charge of mixing that. So that and and so it's you know not always entirely safe right at the moment to go into the clubs you know but at a certain point it will be good to go back and getting and and see some great musicians and go to some jazz clubs if you haven't gone to jazz clubs they they do exist not in every part of the country but they do exist in a lot of the major cities and and Mm -hmm. it's and it's a great way to get educated and and that's it, it again it's different than going to a big rock show in a big rock show you're you're not really hearing the musicians acoustically you're mm-hmm. hearing, hearing it through the pa so you know my best advice is hear music up close and intimate 
And so you can really hear the sound of the cymbals and the sound of the drums coming off stage, played by a, a very good drummer. Mm. There's that That's life-changing. That's really life-changing. So that'll be my parting I love my it. <laughs> I love it. That is that's fantastic advice and I concur 100% and you know I just will add watching interactions between musicians in that kind of setting I think is invaluable as well and especially with the kind of music that you play Steve and the kind of music that you would see in that kind of setting but it's a lot of it is cues from each other and it's yeah. so important to see that interaction and in, in the way that musicians work together. Um, drum clinics as well. You know, I know they're yeah. when it's safe and the clinics come back opportunities to see drummers up close and really just experience that and get to ask questions for me as a, as a right. kid growing up playing and, and coming to see you play. It was incredibly inspiring um, seeing clinics with my favorite drummers and, and um, getting a chance to to really experience that, like you said, in an intimate setting where you're hearing, you're authentically hearing the sounds that are created. So exactly, important. yeah, exactly, really, really key. And and the audience influences the musicians on stage. It's not mm -hmm. a static thing with with a band performing. It's like it's a it's a once in a lifetime happening when yes. you're in a when you're in a drum clinic or if you're in a club hearing a group play. And it's a, you know, that's a, a unique situation mm -hmm. and, and to witness it and take it home then. And it's part of your, your experience, your life experience. It's pretty, pretty important thing to do. Absolutely agree. Thank you so much for that. And for this time, because it's been incredible yes. and I've loved getting a chance to catch up with you. Yes, um, Sarah, always good to talk. And, uh, We'll be in touch, and and uh, I look forward to watching and hearing more of your backstage podcast. Yes, <laughs> thank you, Steve, so much. We will chat soon, I'm sure, Sounds and good. Um, okay. I will. Yeah, I'll look forward to all the great things you have coming up. 2022 is going to be a great year. It is. Thank you. Okay. All bye right. Bye. Take care. Bye. Thank you for tuning in today. Join us each Tuesday for new episodes of Sarah Hagen Backstage.